level. This is JDL here with Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark back after a long Thanksgiving break. Hey guys, how are you? Hey man, it couldn't be better. What a week for The Bulwark. We're just dropping bombs all over the place. I hope folks are enjoying. JVL, you're not enjoying? You're not enjoying? No, no, I'm, I'm enjoying the, This is the perfect segue. Let's just get right into it. Tim, you uh, midwifed a piece that is currently <laughs> destroying the internet right now. Would you like to talk about it? I always wanted to be a midwife. Um, a doula. A doula. That's How many male word. doulas do you think there are? I don't know, but, Tim, but Tim, would have, Tim, Tim would have been a nightmare. This is not a good, this would not have been a good <laughs> occupational fit for Tim. <laughs> I would have been a horrible doula. I don't know. I knew I couldn't go into medicine. This was before JVL when I, I was in middle school. I was a pretty big dork, but I always aspired to be cool. And so I, I had, I would have brief flings with, you know, the troublemaking cool kids over the course of middle school and they would never take. Uh, and in one of the, one instance, um, one of those kids threw a rock at another kid and hit him in the head in middle school. And I like went up to try to help the kid and almost fainted to the ground. And I couldn't even look at, I couldn't do anything. I was completely incapacitated. I knew that medicine was not in, not in future for me. So did I would you not yell have been the a kid while he up. was, while the kid was lying there bleeding. I, did you I yell at him? I did not. I oh just, my I God. completely froze. Oh my God. Look at you. That's horrible. No, I completely froze and choked out. Totally. I don't think I, I don't think I uttered a word for hours after seeing, after seeing the blood come out of his, out of his head. Um, yeah, you know so, what's more intense than getting hit with a rock in the head? What's that? Childbirth. Ooh, but go that ahead, Dula. Sound good. Go ahead, Dula. Tim. That doesn't sound good at all. Uh, childbirth. Happy I don't have to deal with that. Okay, so I dueled this article, which was v- much easier than childbirth. Um, uh, but you know, the the guy that wrote it this morning, for those who haven't seen, is Mark Becker. He uh, uh, wrote a, or excuse me, he taped a video for Arvat. Um, was a former county chair in in Brown County in uh, northeastern Wisconsin, and we, uh, you know, kind of made a made a little text friendship um, o- over the last few months uh, as he was sort of t- giving us updates on what was on the ground in Wisconsin. And about a week after the election, I'm laying by the pool in Palm Springs. And he is frantically texting me screenshots of an incoming call he received from Senator Ron Johnson. And over the course of the call, just for a quick summary, for those that didn't read it, Ron Johnson says that Donald Trump is an asshole. He doesn't really like Mitch McConnell that much. The Lincoln Project and Arvats are pieces of shit. Uh, And oh, by the way, I'm aware that Joe Biden won the election, uh, but I can't say so because it'd be political suicide to say so. And uh, our institutions are pretty strong. So, you know, nothing to worry about here. P.S. Joe Biden might have low grade dementia. Um, So it was Pretty weird, pretty weird call um, that Mark got, and um, I, after a few weeks of meditating on it, I decided I think to do what I think is the right thing, which was write about it. Uh, he wrote about it for the Bulwark this morning, and um, uh, you know, for for the reason, and, and uh, you know, the reason that he decided to do this was basically that somebody's got to right. I and mean, this is the thing about this story; it's one of these stories of the Trump era where you sort of, you know, it's not. It's not shocking, but yet it is, right? I mean, we all there's this there's this kind of unspoken joke that goes around in establishment Republican Washington. Like we all know these guys are crazy. I'm one of the normal ones, but you know we got to play along with the show for the rubes, right? And it's a very cynical, uh, uh, you know, mindset. But yet I've I've been pretty surprised that that nobody has punctured it. 
You know, over the years, I told many reporters, I was like, why don't you just go to a bunch of Republican Christmas parties and burn every source and just tell and tell people what they're really saying? And and, and nobody's really done it. And, and so uh, Mark uh, decided to do it. And and I, and I think that what he did is is shine a light on this thing that we all know has been going on for a half decade now. And and, and it's finally as we sit here on the precipice of of the president wishing that he could coup. Uh, the president telling millions of voters that the Venezuelans have um, corrupted our and rigged our elections, that somebody just needs to say enough of this. And so, so you know, Mark, uh, Mark did that. Uh, and I thought that's kind of what the power of this was, was sort of revealing something that we all know is going to happen, but everybody's been too cowardly to say anything about. Well, what was emperor. your guys' response? Having It is know, the emperor has no blows. Right. I mean, it's it's literally this. That's what this piece is. And that is the power of it. Uh, Sarah, what did you think? Uh, you know, I uh, have been someone who hates the culture of anonymity around Trump. Um, I do. I, I, I there was this piece a while back uh, written by Olivia Nuzzi uh, in which she sort of described why she gives people the 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 blanket of anonymity to sort of, you know, crap all over Trump so that they can sleep well at night. And her, her reason, which was that she'd rather get the truth anonymously uh, than be lied to on the record. Um, And I can appreciate that, but it has allowed for the mass gaslighting of the country that has led us to this moment. Because if you gave everyone truth serum, they would all say, uh, not only would they say things like they don't like Mitch McConnell, and of course Donald Trump is awful, and of course he lost the election, um, but you know Ron Johnson would probably because he was a nor a normalish guy according to Charlie Sykes. Uh, you know, grading on a curve, grading years on a ago. curve. Yeah, but I mean, like Lindsey Graham. I yeah, mean, like sure. if you compare these people to their former selves, it is that invasion of the body snatchers, um, and. I think that this is going to be one of one of the things that when people think about the post-Trump era, one of the things that I think they underappreciate is the extent to which once Trump is out of power, people are going to start talking. There is going to be a gold rush on books where everybody tries to save their reputation. And I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself because I want to talk more about this in my segment. Um, but I do think that what was really important about this piece is that somebody's got to be the first drop in the waterfall of that. And this is one of the first people who are like, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. If it burns me with Ron Johnson, burns me in Wisconsin, I don't care. I'm going to tell the truth. And that's where all this starts. So I I want to say a word in favor of hypocrisy and white lies, because <laughs> I don't I don't want to sound like Holden Caulfield. Right. Like like we got to just call out all the phonies, because the truth is that mature society and a well-functioning politics requires some of that. Right. I mean, some of coalition building is, uh, you know, not telling the people who you think are a little bit weird that they're a little bit weird and holding hands with people to get things done. And, you know, like when when the the lady across the hall from you comes out in a horrible Christmas dress and says, do you like it? Uh, your little hallway neighborhood society in your apartment complex works better if you just tell her oh, it's lovely instead, you know, which is a lie instead of uh, telling her, oh, my God, you you look horrible. 
I mean, as a, hold on, that. just really quick. Bad example, I think, because as the hall gay, it's I would sort of feel like it's incumbent <laughs> upon me to tell her that it looks horrible and that she probably would appreciate that. So I yeah, take your point no. broadly, but I don't. I, in that ex, in that instance, I think it was a bad metaphor. I think there yeah, are different I, rules for straight guys and gay guys on this. With women, when women ask ask a straight guy if they look nice and and they say no, I think that's 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 probably bad. true. Probably true. Yeah, but. But, you know, like and if like every like your grandmother's always told you all of this stuff in moderation. Right. And so this this virtue of, you know, finding ways to get along and build coalitions with your neighbors can get out of control when uh, your neighbors are aspiring authoritarians who want to impose martial law. Right. And that's that's where we are. And that is what has happened over the last five years. And truth be told, what's happening at least over the course of our careers in and around conservative and Republican politics and media, I think. And figuring out how to get to a healthy place in this where uh, you don't feel the need to call out everybody for being a, a, a phony, but also where you don't find yourself constantly lying about what you actually think. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a hard thing to titrate, except that it's not actually that hard in practice, right? It's a hard thing to describe and codify, but it is what any reasonable person knows in practice. Any reasonable person knows that it should be okay to say, yes, the president of the United States is a racist and an aspiring authoritarian and is evil. Like you should, that should be easy to say, and it should be easy to, to, to separate that as a, a moral precept from telling the lady across the hall that her dress looks nice. Yeah, well, like, I, I actually think that there's a way to talk about this in, in the context of the piece. So, you know, when I read the piece, there was this part of me, the part of me that is sort of like uh, focused on decorum, where I'm like, oh, should somebody say, talk about their private conversation? Should 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 he put Ron Johnson on blast? And how do you make the moral calculation between two things? One is, you know, respecting sort of the confidentiality that is implicit in, you know, a one-on-one -on -one phone call with somebody who, you know, is having the call believing that it is a one-on-one -on -one call and is sort of being candid in that moment. Uh, how do you weigh that against the rank hypocrisy being expressed uh, and the wide margin uh, between what you know that person says publicly and what they're saying privately? And I think that the why uh, it was the right decision to come forward is that what it's not just that Ron Johnson is engaging in, you know, some candid behind the scenes talk, which is, you know, two degrees or even 10 degrees different from what he's saying publicly and it's framed slightly more loosely and, and, and stuff. It's that he is saying the opposite of what he is saying publicly and that what he is saying publicly is dangerous and damaging and and is currently like pushing us into more and more of a crisis place where people are now afraid and like it's getting dangerous and getting too hot and so like in that in that context it is totally right and fair to say you cannot talk to me like this is just a 10 degree difference it's not yeah, and, and I, I've got two things on that. One is uh, I just want to I don't I'm not betraying any confidences here with Mark because I want to read one text that he sent me because I, I think it put a good um, north star on this on whether or not to do this. But you know, he says, "Let her rip." I mean, this shit happens because people are too afraid to speak up. But it isn't about me. People have to be able to speak truth. 
And it's like, just as simple as that. Like these guys are just all lying. Like you have to be, at some point people have to be able to speak truth. And this was, I thought, I'm glad you brought up the Nuzzy piece because I, I thought that her article a couple of weeks ago about this problem of how you deal with on background was insightful. And, and I agreed with most of it. But I one disagreement with her is that I felt like the Trump era should have changed the norms and rules around speaking on background in exactly the way that you just said, Sarah. Like when I would go on background as Jeb's communications director and try to spin, you know, oh, we're not really at 4%, we're at 9%. You know what I mean? Like we're, we actually have a path to victory or, you know, just trying to put the best face on a bad set of facts. Um, you know, maybe that wasn't the most honorable thing in the world, but that's like part of within the rules of the game. That's part of the profession. You're trying to help spin on behalf of your candidate. What we saw at the Trump era that I think was unique is that, a you know, somebody like Kellyanne Conway would call up a reporter, say, tell them that this terrible thing happened that somebody they, she hates in the White House. You know, Steve Bannon did X, right? And then the reporter would report that Steve Bannon did X. And then Kellyanne Conway would tweet, this is fake news. Steve Bannon did Y. That's the exact opposite of X. And that for me was just like, this is not part of, you know, the normal way that you get to truth, right? This is not using the on background and off the record quotes to get to truth. This is actually helping the propagandists spin lies, because they're giving you truthful information, you're reporting it, and then they're going out with their huge megaphones and saying that you're lying and that they actually know the truth, even though they're the source. And I thought those sources should have been burned early in the administration and that some Bigfoot outlet should just said, we're not going to we're not going to play this game with you guys. Uh, and 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 I, and I think that because, you know, Mark has this, this freedom is not, you know, somebody that needed access in the future. You know, he was able to sort of expose the same kind of game that Ron Johnson was playing. I just, I just want you guys to take on one more thing before we move on from it, because I think it'll end up getting buried in the story. But I, I thought one of the most revealing things that Ron Johnson said to Mark was, that that the people that go to Trump rallies love this country and that the people that go to Bernie Sanders rallies don't love this country. You can't love something that you want to change. And I just I don't think that there'll be enough focus on that, given the obvious, you know, you know, newsy items of this. But I was just wondering if that struck either of you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Because, of course, the people at the Trump rallies desperately want this country to change. They want it to to change it to something it's not as well. And what they want is they want to push away and exclude uh, the people who show up at the AOC and the Bernie rallies. They want them gone. I mean, it's it, 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 as somebody who's been to a bunch of Trump rallies, because I, I did this in 2016 when I was on the campaign trail and, and went and uh, those people, you know, like it's it's like uh, a fish concert for militia types, <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. Uh, Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I hope you can love something you want to change. Otherwise, it's bad news for uh, my marriage. Married uh, people. Yeah, married. <laughs> Every, all married people. <laughs> yeah. so an I'm working. Line, I'm trying like, to change. I'm trying. Yeah, there's an Amy Brothers line. It's like, I want friends who love me for the man that I have become, not the man that I was. You know, I mean, like, that's also <laughs> just a fundamental misunderstanding of, of, of what it is to love. But despite just you know, uh, taking the mask off and revealing what he really thought. Yeah, I, but I, well, whatever. There's a deeper philosophical point here about whether or not 
these whether or not the love is conditional on, on both ends. And I actually think that at both ends of the spectrum, uh, it is conditional. I mean, these are, you know, th- these are people who who only love the country if they can change it into being what what they want it to be. And when the country has, say, Joe Biden as president, they don't love it. You know, that's that that's the the litmus test of this. Uh, OK, well, anything else? Can we move on? Move on. OK. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we had a remarkable press conference held by I'm going to get his name wrong. Gabriel, Gabriel Sterling, who is the voting systems manager for the Georgia Secretary of State's office, who now has police protection around his home. And I am going to play some audio for us. Because it has all gone too far. All of it. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason because he was transferring a report on batches from an EMS to a county computer so he could read it. It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up And if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. There's more. Thoughts? Can we just quickly note that in terms of uh, Tim Miller heaters, that uh, the story that he was referencing about Dee Genova, the lawyer, saying that uh, Chris Krebs should be broken on the bulwark. Broken on the bulwark by one Tim Miller who decided to sit and watch Newsmax all day for a story. Yeah, one. more Newsmax stuff to come. Um, but uh, it's been painful. My eyes and my my mental health are, is shaky. But uh, uh, it was it was worthwhile because you know this is the kind of thing that you know generally would have been news in the before times, like the president's attorney, um, you know, calling for a public servant's execution. But it's the type of thing that if you're not binge watching Newsmax, you don't get to find out these days. Nobody even notices. Right. Had you not run that, nobody would have seen it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Jamie, so before I think, think about uh, I want to hear your response because I have a feeling that I, I'm going to disagree with it. So I, rather than me give my opinion, I'd like to tell you how wrong you are. Well, uh, you know, Gabriel Sterling is a, a brave patriot. And uh, I don't know. So now it's out of control. Now it's out of control. Was it out of control when the president of the United States was in Florida and someone said, you know, you got to shoot illegal immigrants. And the president laughed and said, only in the panhandle can you get away with saying that was not out of control. That wasn't dangerous. It's only when it comes home to Gabriel Sterling's neighborhood. And all the people that he is a longtime Republican operative. I have not seen who Gabriel Sterling voted for in both 2016 and 2020, but I would bet, you know, the milk money that he did not vote for a Democrat. He is still a Republican. He has not renounced his party. These are his people. He participated this. This is, do do you guys remember the, the 
classic BBC sketch where there's the the two Nazi stormtroopers in the bunker, and one of them is like, "Have do you, do you think that we are the baddies?" And he was like, "What what do you mean we're the baddies?" And he's like, "Well, I mean on our on our caps we've got the skull emblem, and I mean why would we have that? The other guys they've got these eagles and flags, and are we the bad?" And and they realize that wait a minute, well they. Where is that from this type of thing? And this is like the Raffensperger stuff. Everybody wants to throw this guy a fucking parade because he didn't break the law. <laughs> oh, that's great. He didn't break the law. I didn't murder anybody today. Do I get a cookie? I, and I look at this and uh, the extent to which this type of behavior is enabling because what it suggests is that if somebody goes out and puts out a if Kelly Loeffler's office puts out a tweet saying, uh, of course, we condemn all violence. Base is covered. Everything's fine. See, they condemned it. And I it drives me insane. And this is what is wrong, because if there are not real consequences for the people who collaborated in all of this stuff then we are going to get more of it. And I am glad that Gabriel got up there and that he's very, very, very angry about needing a protective detail, but maybe you should look at what the fucking root causes of this are. Does he, does he like the bed and the world that he made for himself? Okay. <laughs> counterpoint. Counterpoint. Uh, which is because I am the grandmaster of the parade uh, throwing committee for these Republicans who are standing up and doing the right thing. Uh, and, da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> and I take your point, your point though, it is well taken to some degree. Although I would just like that there are a lot of people who look at us and let's say us gestures broadly are the never Trumpers. And they, they look at Trump and they say, Oh, do you guys hate this guy? Is is he not the logical extension of everything that you've accommodated over your entire careers as conservatives uh, by just assuming that the Sarah Palin types were just a teeny tiny faction of the party and that the dog whistle racism wasn't really there? Like you can basically take this and and we would we would cop to some of that and we would and we would argue with some of that. I I presume we don't have to litigate it right now, but like at some point you have to give like if there's no incentive. For doing the right thing. And this guy didn't just express it privately. All right. Let me just tell you why I think what this guy did was was somewhat unique. He got up in front of the microphones and he demanded that he, he, he condemned the Republicans for not showing leadership. He he was and, and, and it wasn't really about him meeting his private private detail. His his main beef was the fact that this 21 year old or this 20 year old kid who was just doing his job was like people were sending him nooses. Because all he'd done was report it. Now, I, you are, you are right to some degree that like there are a lot of Republicans, like Ron Johnson, who say things like, well, the, the institutions are strong, so we can all play out this fiction without realizing that we may be heading to a very, very dark place. And that already we're there in many instances. And just because it doesn't visit them at home, they are willing to like play footsie with all of it and just roll the dice and hope it all turns out okay because it's all a big joke on Twitter. Um, but it's not. But I do think the, the, the I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. The breaking point moment, the standing up and saying it, those are really important moments. And if you don't give people that off ramp, if you don't create the space for them to do it, they won't do it. And they'll just see the reason to stay quiet and stay on Trump's side. 
Yeah, um, JVL made a compelling case, I will say. I was planning on arguing uh, more fervently, but um, it was convincing. I, I, look, I just, at the end of the day, though, um, you know, wrapping this random staffer for the Georgia Secretary of State on the knuckles for his 2020 vote, I just, I just don't feel like it cheats that much, um, besides giving me a good belly laugh. Uh, I do, I do think that, in some ways, this is important because it really exposes the cowardice of the Ron Johnsons. You know, like, do, why does it have to fall to the, what is this guy's job? Chief of Staff for the Georgia Secretary of State or whatever? Like, why does it have to fall to that guy to give this speech? Uh, you know, I mean, people were, I was on MSNBC last night and they were comparing it to the uh, Joe McCarthy speech. I was like, that happened in in Congress. <laughs> Right, like, like this is a guy. This is a. This isn't even an elected official. This is a guy that works for a mid-level state elected official in one state, having a press conference. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, good on him. Um, it's what everybody. Uh, it's but that's not true. It's what about sixty percent of his colleagues in Georgia think, uh, but are too afraid to say. 40% probably give or take of his colleagues now thinks that he's now think that he's a traitor and won't ever hire him again. And so good on him. He gets a cookie. JVO, you get a cookie for not murdering people yesterday. I actually have a cookie bouquet here that I got from my mother for Thanksgiving that I don't want to eat. So I'll, I'll send you guys both one, two cookies. Uh, so Sarah, I take your, your point to about the people who would say, isn't Trump just a logical endpoint of conservatism? And we could argue about that a little bit. But on the other hand, there is at least some truth to it. And I part of my frustration is with people who are not willing to begin rethinking their worldviews in light of something like Donald Trump happening. Now, you don't need to change them ultimately, right? You could you could reasonable people could come to different conclusions. But anybody who has seen what we've seen over the last four years and doesn't step back to say, hold on now, let's start thinking about this. That I, I think is absolutely shameful. And for these guys, it is one thing to say, this all started with Barry Goldwater, you know, and you're on the hook for Barry from Barry Goldwater to Donald Trump as a straight line. And you're on the hook for all of this, you people. It is something else to say that uh, the president of the United States four weeks ago was saying that he would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power and nobody said Bo Peep. But now, four weeks later, they're outraged because it's happening in their backyard. And I, you know, this is it's like joining a motorcycle gang. And you think it's super fun, but then the motor motorcycle gang comes to your neighborhood and starts wrecking stuff. And you're like, wait a minute. Hold on, guys. Why ah, Why are you doing this? Don't, this? We're supposed to wreck the other neighborhood, not my neighborhood. And I, my patience for that is pretty, pretty low. I mean, and just, I, just know, okay, just for the sake of argument, when did you want the Georgia secretary of state's political director to speak out before this, I guess it's just like, it's not like this guy has a lot of platforms for, you know, making a broad, he's got two thumbs and an iPhone. Donald Trump. 
He's got two thumbs and an iPhone. Sarah, where's your where's your best buddy Will Hurd been? You know, I mean, this all all it is. It, okay, so it's not fair, I guess. I am I glad that uh, that Gabe Gabe Sterling spoke out. I guess. Um, I don't. You seem I don't, glad. You seem really glad. I don't. You know, I, I'm not saying he shouldn't. I, I'm just saying that, like, great, he's doing the the minimal thing required by anybody with even the most basic moral compass, and we should not turn this into some some gigantic stand. Hold on a second. Actually, let me push back on just, first of all, if you're grading on any kind of a curve in terms of how has the I average- I do curves. Repu- okay, fine, I get it. I get it, Mr. Absolutist. <laughs> um, but it, but I mean, just just look, I'm not going to name uh, names of, of, of people who I had once very much been convinced were going to do the right thing and ultimately didn't. But But that is most- Republicans, almost all of them. And so when one of them gets up in front of a microphone, especially in the context, his whole point, how many people, how many more people in the country right now have protective security detail? Like when was the last time that one of our chief medical officers and former Trump staffers who were speaking out and then a bunch of random people, Republicans in Georgia, they've all got protective details. They're all getting death threats. I would like to show you our inbox sometime, you know, like people and granted, like lots of people are just like, yeah, we send death threats over the Internet. That's like what we do now. And it's terrible. And we threaten people on Twitter and all that stuff. But like, you know, it is a scary time to be an out to be outspoken. And and that is why Ron Johnson can think it's all funny and a lark. Um, but I think that that it is not crazy for somebody to say, oh, my God, this is worse than I thought, because there is such a weird thing now going on where like one of the things Trump is able to do that gives him so much of his power is that you're never quite sure whether he's serious or not. That's why they write so much of it off as a joke and everything is funny and just on the internet until there's like a crazy person at your stalking your house. Yeah. And like that's what these people are up against. So I do think it's remarkable when they speak out, in, just in, in no, for for no other reason that so few have done it. I never yeah, really probably. understand these death jokes either. You know, they, they, that's what D. Genova's defense was. was I yeah, was joking. I was just joking about what having him the, shot at dawn. <laughs> what was the what's the punchline of the drawn and quartered joke? I don't. You know, I didn't. I didn't understand. It didn't have a traditional joke for, set up for me. Rhetorical well, also, flourishes. And also, you know, you're a fucking officer of the court. Like you don't you don't get to make right. I mean, there are right. there are privileges that comes with being an officer of the court, and there are responsibilities, one of which is you don't get to in public make jokes about killing people. Particularly maybe potential witnesses in court yeah. cases that you could be arguing about. Right? But did you guys do you guys see uh your big boy buddy, Governor Larry Hogan, earlier this week? Did you guys see that? Writing for the Washington Examiner, uh, well-respected, twisting the journal. knife, twisting the knife, talking about Hogan. how how deeply important it was to to support both Purdue and Loeffler in the Georgia, because God knows the people, the good voters of Georgia, had been looking north to Annapolis to find <laughs> out what to do. If ever there's any doubt about editorial independence at the Bulwark, you can just know by the fact that anytime Sarah Longwell says a nice thing about one Republican, that JVL will be sure to bird dog that person <laughs> and point out every potential indiscretion for the rest of time following I'm just that. saying that JVL is always right. <laughs> and I'm happy that Gabriel Sterling did this. I will... 
I will say this. If he changes his party registration in Georgia and becomes a registered Democrat after this incident is all over. Independence not acceptable for you. Independence fine. Independence fine. I would take with that. But if if three months from now he is still a registered Republican, then that should tell you all you need to know. Dude, I'm still a registered Republican. Are you kidding? Yeah, I like to be able to. You voted for John Kerry. Let's let's get off our high horse about those of us who are dealing with our party's internal struggles, you know? JVL. You mean JVL yes. voted for JVL John Kerry. No, yeah. Hell I did. Hell yeah, I did. God, I was happy to cast that vote. Yeah. Uh, and and to be just to be clear, uh, it is uh, I, I, I wanted to remain registered as a Republican to make sure that I got counted as a Republican voter against Trump. OK, fair enough. Um, fair but enough. anyway, the point is, is that uh, anybody who wants to hit JVL's particular benchmarks of morality should send their voter registration to him directly so that they can get their cookie, I guess. All right. So, Sarah, which brings us to you. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of disagreements with JVL. Um, so my our most fundamental disagreement, what we work out on the secret pod, like our constant tension in our friendship. Uh, is, I'm happy to adjudicate that as yeah. the third wheel. Well, actually, it, this is actually, well, this is slightly adjacent um, because this is, this is, I was listening to JVL yesterday. JVL was giving a speech at a, at a meeting and it was quintessentially brilliant. dark. Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was great. Always, people it, it like was it? brilliant. Yeah, I think people loved it. And I think part of it is because there's a deep need on among sort of the never Trump set to right. It it justifies everything that we believe and have been saying uh, the darker things get and the worse things get. Right. And that one of the things that uh, has been, you know, bad for me. Uh, not bad for me, like, but but bad for me in our discussions is that I constantly try to strike to find the frame of optimism, to find where things could get better and things could uh, redound to a better place for America. And JVL is always there. And, you know, and I have sort of this faith in people that can be a little Pollyannish. And JVL is always there to take just the <laughs> darkest possible position um, and, you know, talk about people being vaulted into the sun. And so one of the JVL's sort of theses though that that right now he's talking about is this idea that like trumpism here to stay donald trump's grip on the party is uh it is it is strangled you cannot you cannot pry his fingers off of this party there is no sort of exogenous event or way that things could unfold that would that would limit his hold on the party and i just i want to present a counter uh based on what i'm seeing happen right now and I, but i want to get your um your thoughts on it so right now, because Donald Trump is uh, living in, he is he has both lost the presidency, right? So he is about to be out of power. And because he is absolutely going uh, batshit crazy about the uh, conspiracies of the voting machines and election fraud, there is a schism that I see happening. It feels a little bit like 2016. I will tell you some of NRO's most recent editorials. One is Trump's disgraceful this is the National Review online. Yes, the NRO. The Trump NRO maybe. that that who went from uh the case against Trump to uh in 26 to in 2020 after seeing 4 years of Trump, 
after becoming somewhat, no, not somewhat, very accommodating of Trump, losing a bunch of the the voices who were who were staunchly anti-Trump, had to go off and uh, start their own publication. Uh, now their most recent editorial, uh, right now Trump's disgraceful endgame, is them grappling with what the president is doing at the moment. Um, and I know JVL, I can see you leaning in. Just hold your horses. I'm going to make a bigger point. It's not about NRL. I'm also leaning in. I'm also yeah. leaning in. Okay, just hold Start on. Going. So here's here's my here's my thesis. So right now, Bill Barr yesterday came out and said there's no voter fraud. Now, he, there's just no evidence of widespread voter fraud. It's not there. So one of the Trump's most loyal soldiers, and what happens to him? So I'm not on Parler, but the Parler watchers on Twitter are uh, telling us that MAGA world is furious. They, Bill Barr is part of a deep state coup against the president. And the fact that he appointed a special counsel to maintain the Durham investigation into the Biden, you know, even even as the Biden administration goes on, uh, isn't enough to sate their bloodlust for him being insufficiently loyal to the president. NRO starting to break with him. The Wall Street Journal editorial page, another uh, institution that has had become much, much more pro-Trump over the last four years. Uh, has uh, written an op-ed and editorial today um, backing up Bill Barr. And you've got people like Mike Flynn. Okay, Mike Flynn is, uh, is, is retweeting things that call for the president to declare martial law. And uh, signed Sydney- a letter. Just, I'm sorry, just really quick aside. So, yeah. Signed a letter yeah. that was an advertisement that called for martial law, the former national security advisor. Martial Sorry. law, while we while we conducted a, a new election because it's been so fraudulent, Sidney Powell uh, is uh, Mike Flynn's attorney. She helped get Mike Flynn almost off before he was pardoned by the president. Um, she is out making uh, the most the craziest allegations, so crazy that they're too crazy for Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. So here's my here's my thing. Newsmax, right? So the MAGA world is fracturing. If you go read the comments on that NRO editorial, they are furious at NRO. And so why isn't it possible that what we could start seeing is an actual, like, Newsmax and OAN are basically dogpiling Fox. People are mad at Fox News. The main instrument of Trump propaganda for the last four years is now insufficiently pro-Trump. So in some ways, JVL, I can hear you saying like, no, this, this is my thesis. Like this, this, is, this proves my thesis that these people are so off the rails. But isn't it possible that actually people are starting to that – the, that the, what's happening is the inmates are taking over the asylum, uh, that Republicans who have accommodated Trump are now going to reap just like, just like our friends Georgia. They're reaping the byproduct of accommodating this guy for the last four years and that there is going to be a rift that makes – uh, the political coalition untenable. Even with Kelly Loeffler and Purdue right now in Georgia, they are up against the fact that there are whole uh, mechanisms that are saying, uh, don't vote for Trump or don't vote for Kelly Loeffler and Purdue. They're insufficiently loyal to Trump. So why couldn't this whole thing collapse in on itself? Tim, do you want to go first or do you want me to? I'd like to hear you. So I have no doubt that if institutional Republicans and conservatives had their way, they would turn the page from Trumpism. My thesis is is essentially that these people have exactly as much control over events as they had in 2015, which is to say almost none. And that the reason Trumpism is forever is because of the people that you know the power emanates from the people and 
your median Republican voter is basically sliding. Your median Republican voter does not believe that Joe Biden won the election and a third of Republican voters believe in QAnon. And with numbers like that, you have a critical mass who, whenever they are allowed to exert power, which is going to be, you know, two years from now in an election, they will flex, they will, they will move the power towards themselves. And then all of the conservative and Republican elites will follow them again, just the way they did over the last four years. And so I, I have a great deal of sympathy for these people who would like to move on, but they, again, just seem to have not, not have learned anything from the last four years. And they still think that they are in control. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the scene in, in uh, The Dark Knight Rises where John Daggett goes to, to Bane and Bane, you know, he says to Bane, I'm in control here. And Bane looks down at him and just rests the back of his hand on Daggett's shoulder. And he says, do you feel in control? Like that's, that's basically conservative ink <laughs> yeah. and the Republican Party are John Daggett and the Republican voters are Bane. So this is where this is where I'm at too. So so Rich Lowry um, of National Review said in an interview uh, that he he thinks the National Review would oppose Trump again in a 2024 primary should he should he run again, and and my response to that is uh, ha. Um, I just I, <laughs> I I think that you are right. Sarah, I, I think that both of you are right in the sense that there's a desire for there to be a internal fight. Like there's a desire for there to be cracks and breaks in the Trump coalition on the right. The problem is, is that any of that desire coming from the voters? And if not, won't all of these elites just continue to fall in line just like they did the last time? And I mean, I think that is the question that remains to be seen. I mean, you cannot feed these voters five years of uncut MAGA heroin and then one day be like, isn't he kind of crazy? You know, like that just doesn't work, right? Like there needs to be a concerted effort to frame the Trump years as a failure. And I just don't, I mean, I don't think any of them are going to be willing to do it. And if any of them are willing to do it, they will be getting rejected for guest op-ed pitches at the Bulwark, right? Like they would be with us then, you know, I just, Benji Sarlin of MSNBC had a good tweet thread. There was an Axios story this morning about Republicans on background saying that they feel pretty confident that Trump will fade before 2024 that you know his financial and legal problems will catch up with him and that he won't be given a free pass and that people will stand up to him then. And it's just like, well, A, this was, I mean, I, like we already went through all this in 2016. So this is deja vu all over again. Um, but secondly, the point that Benji made is in order for this to work, there needs to be a, an alternate narrative given than the narrative of Donald Trump was a great president, the media was mean to him, and the election was stolen. And so if the National Review and the Wall Street Journal and the, uh, uh, and the Bill Bars of the world spend the next year or two years consistently ringing that bell, okay. I mean, maybe, some, maybe things will change, but is there any reason to believe that will happen? So uh, now what I just see is a rift between crazy Mike Flynn 
calling for a fucking coup. It's just like, I mean, you know, we're what, 45 minutes into this before we even talked about this? I mean, the national security advisor for Donald Trump is calling for a coup. I could you just imagine? I mean, Susan Rice, this is a this is madness. What does this look like internationally? That Trump's top security official thinks that we should have martial law and a coup over this election. So yeah, will there be a rift between that and and the and the you know guys in suits on Wall Street and on K Street? Yeah, there'll be a rift. But but will they actually carry that rift out to the end, or will it just be you know strike one thousand nine hundred twenty eight uh, in the balls and strikes game where there's no actual strikeouts? That's what I think this lands. Yeah, I think that's I think that's basically the case. And when you look at I. I I am less concerned, honestly, with the the national reviews and the Wall Street journals of the world than I am with Republican elected officials. Right. Is is Ted Cruz or Ron Johnson or any any Republican of any consequence who has any any power that that they have derived from the voters going to stand up and say uh, over and over again, stop this. Joe Biden won. No. No. Look, uh, Ted at, Cruz, yes, just to this point, honestly, we haven't even talked about this. Ted Cruz, this is how crazy of a life we're in that this is. This doesn't even make the news. Ted Cruz sent out a press release saying that the Pennsylvania results should be overturned. Ted, <laughs> Ted Cruz called for for the disenfranchisement of Pennsylvania voters in a press release. The, uh, the, the called the Supreme Court and Donald Trump right now. Thank you to Senators. Just happened while we've been on. Th- thank you to Senator Tom Cotton for the really nice words on all we are doing and have done. We will win. The best we can hope for is strategic silence and alighting, right? I mean, this is, I truly believe this, from from elected Republicans, from anybody whose power derives not from their seat at the table in media, but from voters in Republican world, the best we can hope for is that they will not comment and will sort of play cute and say, well, it was really complicated. Who can say, but I'm fixated on the future. That's the best we can hope for. The more realistic response is that they will say, uh, yeah, Donald Trump was robbed, right? And there, there will be nobody to stand up and just say what is real and what actually happened, because as Ron Johnson says, political suicide. And but this is Bill Barr just did, and the guy in Georgia just. And my point is, is that why, why, because this is all heat and no light in this discussion, why can't it flame out in some way? Why I, I understand that Tem, Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton and Lindsey Graham are going to be the absolute worst. But like, why? I, I guess what I liked about the Georgia comment is I did wonder if it wouldn't like shock the conscience of like Elisa Murkowski <laughs> of some like why? why, why? <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to mute myself. You're the worst. Uh, you, this is this. So Tim Alberta had this tweet where like <laughs> JBL is. I'm sorry, just really quick. We are on video here. The rest of you aren't. JBL is literally having a laughing fit attack <laughs> he's coughing and he's crying he's crying from laughter I'm right sorry. now i'm sorry sarah tim alberta that's fine this is what jbl does he assumes the absolute worst case scenario and look it's true that that has made him more right than me over the last uh four years i'm just not convinced that uh there's not a limit to this the limit is much further out than i ever thought uh but like when tim alberta tweets like we haven't even seen uh, the full descent into Republican madness. Like, I think that's true. And I just have to think at some point there's a break uh, and that you we we are seeing some of that. Like Bill Barr coming out saying there was no voter fraud 
is important. It does matter. Yeah, it's, it we, matters, but it doesn't mean that there's going to be this massive rift, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I mean, we are and we are heading to a world where if you thought the segmentation and the bubbles of people's information intakes were bad before, we now have a separate social media platform for the Republican voters in in Parler. So they have their own thing. They are going to move away from Fox and onto things like OAN and Newsmax, where they don't even have the daytime real new journey, like actual journalism, right? I mean, the, the knock on Fox has always been, sure, they're bad for four hours at night, but for the other 20 hours a day, they do quality journalism. You, They won't even have to grapple with that while they're on Newsmax and OAN. Uh, I just don't see any reason to believe that the mass of people who exert powers in Republican, who exert power in Republican primaries, which is who matters. I don't see any reason to believe that they are going to turn the page on any of this. And once they flex their muscle and they assert their power, everybody else will get in line just like they did. Just, I mean, again, this is the, the unwillingness of people to reassess and reevaluate the world around them when faced with something new, I find amazing. And so, you know, any, anybody from balls and strikes land who immediately pivots to, okay, well, let's evaluate the Biden proposals on uh, this new relief package and see what, uh, what does it do to the deficit? I mean, is it really realistic? And oh, near attend and once sent a tweet that was in temper. I, I, I mean, I just, that is participating in, in its own way. It's a choice and it is participating in the, the coming storm there. That's all I have. I'm spent. You're spent. This has been great. I I feel like I've been the black hole today. This has been the most me ever. Just remember, it was only like three, JBL does like to say he's always right and blah, 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 but it was only like three weeks ago that we all got together and he was at like DEFCON 5 about Donald Trump being like Scarface behind the Resolute desk, chained to the desk with a big, big mound of cocaine in front of him. And, um, you know, here we are, Michael Flynn posting an ad in the Washington Times. So we've we've made some progress over the last three weeks. I mean, it's still really dark, but not quite as dark. All right. So we are we done with serious talk? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for the people who, who only like serious talk, you guys can turn off the show. I have something I would like to talk to you two about. Exciting. I am finishing up a book by a gentleman named Dave Miller called AWOL on the Appalachian Trail, and it is changing my life, and I'm thinking the three of us need to hike the entire AT together. Could you be down for that? I think Sarah is a much more likely participant, so I'd like to hear her answer first. The the idea that I would be able to leave my family and my two small children for the amount of time it would take to hike the... I would love to do anything. I would love to take any adventure. Um, but, uh, and you, Mr. You've got four kids, uh, and an unrelenting baseball schedule with your, nobody's going anywhere. I no, guess one's, I, no, no one gets to have this vision quest anymore. I have a follow up question. I've never been near the Appalachian trail. I don't think or on it. Um, are there any like Ritz Carlton's or like, is there an ACE, is there an ACE hotel Appalachia trail that I could stay at? Or would we be like glamping? I'm not, I'm not much for glamping. 
some of the shelters do have privies. Not What's all a privy? of them. Uh, an outhouse. Yeah, Tim. <laughs> Mostly, Tim, Tim, there's you no just glamping. take a shovel with you into <laughs> the outhouse. You just take a shovel into the woods with you. An outhouse. Take a shovel and some leaves into the woods. I'm yeah, so to I picture I grew- what an outhouse is. Is that like a like a porta potty type deal? <laughs> it's a hole, a hole in the ground with 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 a wooden structure around it to protect your privacy. Uh, so listen, I don't Sarah, think this is going to happen for me. I might read the I, book though. I I understand your very practical objections, and I will say in my defense, I don't mean tomorrow. I don't mean that we do this tomorrow, but could this be a goal for us? Say five, six, eight years out. Yeah, you can you can talk to my wife about it. I don't think it is for what me. if your wife and my wife were to move in together while we were away, <laughs> consolidate the kids in one household, <laughs> and you, me and Tim just go and hike. What would your trail name be? Because you know this, that you you get a trail name when you're hiking the AT. Could I just, is there like a historic marker for where Mark Sanford was when he did his hike on the Appalachian he was, Trail? He was I in Argentina. He was, he was in Argentina. He was not even in America. The Appalachian Trail is in America. It actually runs. This is uh, so it was a cover story. The Appalachian Trail is a cover story for Mark Sanford. I don't really remember the details. I just remember the press conference. Yeah, wasn't he, wasn't he in a different country? He said he was hiking the Appalachian Trail, but he was actually Yeah, I believe Argentina. he was in Argentina. Well, yeah, right. Okay. Sarah. Trail names. Go. Oh, I don't. I don't have a. Tra- I don't know. Trail mix. I could eat trail mix. What? What? So this what, isn't happening. Well, can you just? What's a trail name? Give me an example. No, people. It's like a code name that you use on the trail that people refer to you as. Big Red. Eighty four. <laughs> Cattails. Like just you know, you come up with a. It, it's like a. Think of it as the hiking version of a Top Gun style call sign. I think I would be. Who doesn't want to do this? Why will nobody do this with me? My what wife if... won't hike the AT with me. I asked Sonny and Vic if they would hike the AT with me. They won't do it. Oh, we're you like third. We're like, like third tier mm. invitation, Tim. We're like we're like low down. I I would you, I would like your boys. The trail name kid. could be like a drag name for me. Right? Yes, absolutely. You, know, you should hike like, the trail in drag. I think that would be super comfortable. Like Die Man Sawyer. No, Gloria Manderbilt. All right. So this isn't happening. My dream, once again, crushed. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll take a laptop and uh, and a satellite Wi-Fi connection, and I'll just do the bulwark from the AT. Okay. I thought we were going to talk about the lesbian rom-com and Ben Shapiro. No, because you haven't watched it. You haven't watched it yet. I know. You haven't watched the lesbian rom-com yet? No. When would I have time to do that? No, at night, at bedtime, after the kids are in bed, watch, watch, watch Netflix like everybody else does. Have you watched The Undoing? Have you watched The Undoing? Yeah, I watched The Undoing. Okay, well, there you go. I like, that's true. I like mowed through that. Um, I will watch it, uh, but my, I can still have an objection to Ben Shapiro's framing of this, which is that he is uh, very upset that Hulu would make a lesbian rom-com and that this is the payeon to woke culture just out there willy-nilly producing rom-coms in a hallmark style uh you know whatever which is really meant for religious families and children and how is how terrible is this and the one observation i would like to make is that i can't think of another lesbian rom-com 
that's been made re- like uh, I that that isn't and even this one okay just based on the previews the whole point of this one in 2020 the whole premise is like they can't be out and like one of yeah. them you know can't be out to her family and it's about hiding who you are and I'm like for the love of God like if you're gonna give me a rom com well his point is that it was a Christian holiday and it's unChristian to have lesbians. He would have been okay with like a rom com, a lesbian rom com about like Veterans Day. <laughs> Maybe not Veterans Day. Actually, he probably doesn't Labor want Day. lesbians Labor in the military. Day. Labor Day, Labor yeah, Day. like a Labor Day lesbian rom com. He would have been okay with. His objection was about that you were sullying the Christian holiday with your, you know, lesbian lovemaking. Um, so that that was that was that was it. I, I don't think that that really merits much discussion. I do want to hear though from you. There's only one right answer. Is what was your favorite character? Who was your favorite character in The Undoing? Oh, my there favorite. is a correct oh. answer. It's well, not it's, a, it, the lo- it was her lawyer best friend. Mm, close to the right answer. She's definitely top three. Donna, Donna from the West Wing comes back to. Uh, She's in like one undoing, episode. And <laughs> she is fantastic in that episode as the crazy head of the mom's group. She does, She nails it. Yeah, she's not the best character. Uh, the the best friend who you think at the beginning is totally just a gossip and frivolous and whatever, and ultimately is the only one who stands by her and plays a crucial role. Ultimately, she is the best character. She's pretty. Did good. you did you like the Undoing? I did. I liked it quite a bit, actually. I really, I, I really, I really did enjoy it. I mean, you have to take it for what it, what it is. You know, it's not. A, it's not. It's a. It's, it's a you know trashy drama, uh, but it, it was well done. I thought it kept yeah. me it kept me engaged each episode. I was ready for every episode to start. I watched it to to your point. Like I I I we started it and Karen immediately fell asleep and I was like mm, I'm going to do this by myself and like mowed through three episodes Ooh. and then the last two. I mean I just like. I did inhale it, but it is, it was like junk food. Uh, where totally. that, and ultimately, I was kind of uh, sick at the end. I thought Hugh Grant was excellent, though. I mean, he really sold me on being kind of, no I spoilers, guess this wasn't, no spoilers. This wasn't, this, oh, yeah, no, no, I know. I'm just saying this wasn't a hard, I guess, job for him as an actor to like be an arrogant prick, right? But he nailed it. It was he nailed it. So I, I read a little. Uh, Hugh is having like kind of a late midlife crisis. I read an interview with him about the, about the thing where he's sad that he got <laughs> typecast as a rom com man and is looking for looking for character roles in his in his twilight years. I'm looking. For, I think I'm looking forward to the Hueissons as a. All right, I I have literally no idea what you guys are talking about. Um, I have never even heard of this show, but I I need to interject and tell both of you. To run, don't walk. To watch the Paddington live-action movie sequel, Paddington like Paddington Two, Paddington Bear, Paddington Bear, Paddington Two, which is, and I am not. This is not a work. You have too many to children. Is Hugh in it? Is Hugh in it? This is no, Hugh but, but... Grant's greatest performance ever, and I am not kidding. He's amazing. You have to. Wait, just also, Hugh, it's Hugh a really Grant, good kid Hugh movie. Grant is in the Paddington movie. Wait, isn't because isn't um? Well, I'm blanking on her name, but the other star of The Undoing, uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman isn't she in the Paddington movies? No, not in the first one. 
Uh, I don't believe so. I don't, I don't know. I don't even remember the first one. The first one was terrible. Just see the second one. Hugh Grant plays the villain and he is a washed up stage actor and he's amazing. You have to, and I, I love Hugh Grant in basically everything. Go see it. If you haven't seen him in the gentleman, Tim, I would recommend you going and watching the gentleman. This is not a movie Sarah would watch. Sounds up my alley. It's a, it's, it's, it's a British gangster movie from last you year. You know what? You are always the wrongest when you are trying to characterize what I do or do not think or would or would not like. Those are your most wrong takes always. Stereotype like right there. I think Lair Cake was fine. I watched it, but and I watched it before you ever started talking about it. But once I realized that it's a movie that you watch over and over and over again, I think that is a dubious movie to like it's like john wick or one of these we're like okay like i can watch the first but like it didn't need four uh you know to do layer cake what is that is that on one of the streaming services can i can i watch that and we can adjudicate layer cake next week yeah it's on the streaming service where you just buy it it's it's on amazon you just you give them money and they they (laughs) allow you to i'm gonna charge that to the bulwark then and then we can discuss it we can discuss it it to you tim i will gift you is is your gmail your amazon yeah it is yeah thing all right i will send the the digital version of it don't don't do this tim then all of of a sudden jvl just like things just show up on your porch and it's just things jvl thinks you need that's great i love gifts Please. Tim, do you have a bounce house for your kid? <laughs> <laughs> the neighbor, don't send me a bounce house. The neighbors down the block do have a bounce house, and uh, we don't need a second bounce house on the block. Okay, here in West Oakland, guys, this is the biggest episode ever. We supersized the the heck out of this. We should probably go now. Okay. Peace. Bye. Bye, guys.